Welcome to Wounded Hearts Walk in Circles, Reasons and Remedies for Repeated Mistakes. I'm your host, Jerry Seiden, and we're going to get into Chapter 6 of Wounded Hearts Walk in Circles today and discover paradigms. These chapters are extremely important for someone who wants to get a handle on the issue of repeating the same mistakes over and over. Problem Paradigms gives us a little bit more insight into the paradigms we have about ourselves and the help and hope to make a change to those. So here's chapter six. Paradigms, labels or lies. A man named Thomas Kuhn, a scientific historian, coined the term paradigm. It became known as a theoretical framework for understanding things. It's a way of thinking about things, a way of labeling life. This set of accepted beliefs can control how a whole family or community view a thing or a person. We've all heard a mother or a father say, oh, he's the smart, sensible one. Then we all draw the only assumption left about the other boy in the family. But it's important to remember that a paradigm isn't necessarily true. It's just believed. Ugly ducklings and wounded hearts. Wounded hearts find ourselves far from home. We end up in places where we don't belong. Those foreign places can even be in our mind, or should I say, in our belief. And like Dorothy, we may not even understand how we got there. We just know that we don't fit. It doesn't feel like home. Hans Christian Andersen, the famous Danish writer, understood the pain of a bad fit. He was born into poverty, cruelty, and neglect. At age 14, he fled his hardship to discover the home that he longed for in his heart. He found it in Copenhagen, in the theater and among the arts. He spun tales for children and spurred wisdom in adults. Among Anderson's fable is the tale of a poor creature born out of place, wounded and harassed in spirit. The creature was hatched by a duck and counted among her brood, but he could not quack and by duck standards, he was unattractive. By no fault of his own, he was ugly and large and an object of scorn. The Farmyard Society gave him a label. It was the ugly duckling. The label became a paradigm, a theoretical framework that influenced how everyone thought of the creature. It didn't matter that the label was untrue the lie became the poor creature's reality. So long as he remained in the farmyard, he would be the maverick, the misfit, and the mongrel. Every day he would be picked on, pecked at, and pushed around. He had to leave. But once outside the farmyard, he had no idea where to go. He didn't know who he was or where he belonged. Majestic and noble creatures like geese and swan had identity and direction. He could only watch as they flew south to safety. He longed to join them, but he knew that he would not be welcome. So instead, 
he remained for winter to find him. Hans Christian Andersen wrote, The winter grew cold and colder. He was obligated to swim about on the water to keep it from freezing. But every night the space on which he swam became smaller and smaller. At length, it froze so hard that the ice in the water crackled as he moved and the duckling had to paddle with his legs as well as he could to keep the space from closing up. He became exhausted at last and lay still and helpless, frozen fast in the ice. Paradigms paralyze. Paradigms, the labels others put on us, control the way we see and are seen. Paradigms help us interpret our world and understand our place in it, but they can only paralyze us and keep us frozen in place, unable to move, to change, or to grow. Once we are set and frozen by them, we cannot free ourselves or find the way out on our own. My son had a science fair project to do, and the tradition in our home is to wait until the last minute, just before the project is due. My wife pointed me in the direction of a craft store. You'll find everything you need in abundance, she said. I was lost from the moment I entered. Acres and acres of aisles and aisles were more than I could imagine. I knew I needed help, so I flagged down one of the first store employees that passed by. Excuse me, I said. Yes, may I help you? The white-haired lady asked. She lifted her reading glasses. Uh, she lifted reading glasses off her chest and perched them on her nose to get a good look at me, I suppose. I'm helping my son with the science pro fair project, I began. Have you checked at Beckman's? She, she interrupted. They have science fair projects there. Well, no. My wife said that I'd find everything here, I countered. Is that right? She said as she uh, readjusted her glasses and view. I stole a peek and spied her name tag. It read Miss M. She noticed my glance and pulled her sweater over the tag. Anyway, I continued. He's thinking about science for a project on water purity. I continued to explain the project and my need for specimen jars. We need to store water samples from all over the county. All the while I spoke, Mrs. N squinted her eyes and, her, and shook her head from side to side. I finished and she began with science fair, water samples, specimen jars, no. We don't have anything like that. Then she started to walk away. Wait, I cried out. Is there someone else who might know? <clears throat> she stopped cold and shook her head in disbelief. She signaled for help and another lady joined us. Mrs. N retold my tale just above a whisper. I heard her say science fair and then saw them both shake their heads then the words water samples, fleshman jars, again, both heads shook from side to side. 
Mrs. N turned to me to give me the bad news. No, it's just as I thought. We don't have anything like that. Did you try Beckman's? The other lady asked. Mrs. M interrupted my response and added, That's exactly what I said. I told him to try Beckman's. Well, thanks anyway, I offered. I think I'll just wander around the store for a while. Don't, but don't worry, I brought breadcrumbs. I'm sure I'll find my way out. I navigated toward the center of the store. I must have walked a mile or two without seeing another man. But in time, I spied another employee, a girl, high school age. She was on her hands and knees, restocking a bottom shelf, <clears throat> some sort of dried leaves or flowers. Excuse me, I began. Yeah, she answered, but she didn't look up. I figured she was listening, so I told her my tale. Except this time, <clears throat> I twisted it a bit. My son loves to paint. You know, models and ceramics and stuff. Yeah, right. She still didn't look up. Anyway, I kept on. Sometimes he likes, uh, he mixes two paints together in a separate glass jar. And sometimes he needs a jar to clean his brushes in. You know what I mean? Right. So you need clean jars, she asked and stood and rubbed her nose. I think I'm allergic to this dead stuff. Yes, that's exactly what I need, I gushed. Where are they? Follow me, she said, and I need, I need to stretch my legs anyway. I followed her past the score of aisles before she stopped and pointed. There, see? We got a zillion of them. Thank you, I beamed. I'll bet Mrs. N has never been this far. Who, she asked. Never mind. Thanks for your help. I really appreciate it. Any time, she said. Now back to my allergy. Then she mumbled, What are these crumbs doing here? Wounded hearts and death wishes. Wounded hearts cannot change the paradigm that paralyzes them. I may have been able to switch from the theoretical framework of science fair to arts and crafts, but the ugly duckling could not free himself. He was frozen in place. Winter had found him, and death was on its way. Death would have been his next visitor, but a peasant came along. He broke the ice with his wooden shoes. He carried the ugly duckling home and revived him in the fire's glow. But the ugly duckling could not accept warm milk, the children's love, and the kindness he'd been shown. He flapped and fluttered and fussed till they opened the door and let him go. He was released, but he was not free. He carried the bondage with him, within his wounded heart. He passed the winter in solitude. It was long and lean and lonely. Anderson wrote about the day the ugly duckling found and approached the swans. When I read the original version by the hand of Hans, I was surprised at the ugly duckling's response. It was unlike the later versions I had known. Hans wrote, It would be very sad were I to relate all the misery 
and privation which the poor little duckling endured during the hard winter. But when it had passed, he found himself lying one morning in the moors amongst the rushes. He felt the warmth of the sunshine and heard the lark singing, and he saw all around was beautiful spring. From a thicket close by came three beautiful white swans, rustling their feathers and swimming lightly over the smooth water. The duckling remembered the lovely birds and felt more strangely unhappy than ever. I will fly to those royal birds, he exclaimed, and they will kill me because I am so ugly and dare to approach them. But it does not matter. Better to be killed by them than pecked at by the ducks, beaten by the hens, pushed about by the maiden who feeds the poultry, or starved with hunger in the winter. Then he flew to the water and swam toward the beautiful swans. The moment they espied the stranger, they rushed to meet him with outstretched wings. Kill me, said the poor bird, and he bent his head down to the surface of the water and awaited death. Wounded hearts, blinded hearts. The wounded in heart has the power to blind our own eyes and cloud our minds. We cannot see as others see. We cannot feel what others feel. We cannot know what others know. The perverted paradigm has discarded our hope and stolen our will to live. Hey, Bill. What you doing? I called out to my friend that all I could see was his butt and his legs and his shoes. He was head first into the engine of his motorhome. Come over here and make yourself useful. Bill's voice rose from the engine, but he made no move to crawl out. Sorry, Bill, I answered, but I promised your wife I'd drop by and talk and pray with her. Too good to get your hands dirty, huh? No, I answered. I'm just in a hurry. It's just as well. Whatever you touched, I'd have to fix and again anyway, he grunted. And Bill added, Hey, listen, tell my wife not to give you anything to eat. You don't deserve it. Hey, Jerry, Connie called out from the door and motioned for me to come in. I got close enough and she said, Don't mind him. You know how Bill is. Well, I came by to pray with you, I answered, and hoped that I might be able to see how Wendy's doing. Did you have lunch? I got plenty, Connie said. Here, let me get you a sandwich. No, that's okay. Don't worry about me. Why don't you, why don't you sit down for a minute? I don't know if she heard me or not. She headed to the kitchen. I followed. She already had a plate out and her hands on two pieces of bread. Get in the fridge there and get yourself some iced tea. Yes, ma'am, I answered. Resistance was futile. Connie brought the sandwich and said, Here's some carrot sticks, too. Wendy won't let us eat chips. She put Bill on a great diet after his heart attack. It helps having a registered dietitian for a daughter. 
But does Bill follow the diet, I asked? No, he said he won't follow the diet till Wendy joins him at the table. They're both stubborn. Can you imagine, Bill used to say that Wendy was fat and looked like a boy. Whoa, who would believe that now? I guess she does, I sighed. What do you mean? Connie asked, surprised. Well, it's just that the last time I saw her, I was so shocked, I blurted out that she looked like a skeleton. She said I was crazy. So I asked her to be honest with me. I said, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? She said, I see a fat girl who looks like a boy. I asked her where she ever got that idea. And she said, it's just true. It's always been true. Anyway, Connie continued. I like the diet she wrote for Bill. But if you want chips, Jerry, I got some hidden above the fridge. She reached into a high cabinet. No, Connie, that's okay. Please sit down now. Connie wiped her hands on a towel by the sink, pulled out a chair, and sat across from me. But she wasn't settled. Once she made eye contact, I, I asked, Is Wendy home? Yes, of course, she, she's upstairs, but... But what? I asked. But I think she should be in a hospital. Connie bit her lip to stop the quivering. She stood and retrieved the towel for her eyes. We had her committed three times, Jerry. It was never, it never made her difference. She worked at the first hospital and she knew everyone. It didn't help. At the other two, well, I mean, she knows all the right things to say. After all, she's a dietitian. It was a waste of money. We can't afford another. Well, Bill is out there right now fixing the motorhome to sell it. It was supposed to be. Um, it was supposed to be our. Well, it doesn't matter. Connie started out the kitchen, stared out the kitchen window. If you don't mind, I would like to pray for you, I said. Of course, he answered. I laid a hand on Connie's shoulder and asked God to give her and Bill the wisdom and strength they needed. And I prayed for Wendy. I asked God to open her eyes and to heal her mind and body and spirit. When I finished, Connie said, Would you like to knock on her door? It's worth a try. I nodded and followed her upstairs. Connie knocked and spoke. Honey, Pastor Jerry's here. He came by to see how you're doing. Can he come in? We waited in silence for a moment. Then a faint response came. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm, I'm just too tired. Maybe another time. That was the last time I heard Wendy's voice. She died that week. 27 years old, five feet nine inches tall, and 80 pounds. At the funeral, Bill stood by the casket and cried. I watched him caress her face with his hand, and I heard him say, 
my pretty little girl. Help from above. Wounded hearts need help from outside or from above because reality is distorted for us. We can't see the way out. Life is a mystery and maze. We choose the wrong door every time. On our own, we can't break the cycle or leave the house of illusion in which we live. Hans Christian Andersen found the help he needed in Copenhagen. A man named Jonas Collins freed Holland, uh, Hans. He was the director of the Royal Theater. When he looked at Hans, he did not see a worthless soul, the beaten and bruised son of a shoemaker. He saw a talented young man. Jonas cared for Hans and raised money to provide him an education at the university. In the presence of that love and acceptance, Hans could see the very same thing that Jonas had, to, had always known. What about the ugly duckling? How did things end up for him? How did Hans finish the tale? Well, in the presence of the beautiful swans, the ugly duckling bent his head and anticipated a death blow. He thought, why would creatures so lovely want anything to do with me? Hans wrote. But what did he see in the clear stream below? His own image, no longer dark and gray and ugly and disagreeable to look at, but a graceful and beautiful swan to be born in a duck's nest in a farmyard is of no consequence to a bird if it is hatched from a swan's egg. He now felt glad at having suffered sorrow and trouble because it enabled him to enjoy so much better all the pleasure and happiness around him. For the great swan, for the great swan swam around the newcomer and stroked his neck with their heads and their beaks as, as a welcome. Into the garden presently came some little children, and they threw bread and cake into the water. See, cried the youngest, there's a new one. And the rest were delighted and ran to their father and mother, dancing and clapping their hands and shouting joyously, there is another swan come, a new one has arrived. Then they threw more bread and cake into the water and said, the new one is the most beautiful of all. He is so young and pretty. And the old swans bowed their heads and before him. Then he felt quite ashamed and hid his head under his wing, for he did not know what to do. He was so happy and yet not at all proud. He had been persecuted and despised for his ugliness. And now he heard them say, he was the most beautiful of all the birds. Even the elder tree bent down its boughs into the water before him, and the sun shone warm and bright. Then he rustled his feathers and, cur and his curved, slender neck and cried joyfully from the depth of his heart. I never dreamed of such happiness as this while I was an ugly duckling. The challenge of change. To change a paradigm is no easy thing. 
In the personal reflection that follows, there are practical exercises and ideas for change, exercises for self-esteem. Patience and commitment to the process is important. We can't change a problem we don't understand, and we can't heal a pain that we, we refuse to face. Because of the length of time of this podcast, um, I'm not going to go through the uh, personal reflections, but I encourage everybody to to get with a, repub- a, a recovery partner or a small group so you are able to, to share these materials and, uh, and work through the questions that, that are made for a group. If you are able and uh, if you're helped by the podcast, I'd like to encourage you to perhaps make a donation to Spirit of Hope, a nonprofit. Uh, our, our, our statement, our saying is, uh, where there's hope, there's life. And that's what these materials are intended to do, to give hope and a positive spiritual perspective on recovery. You can get in touch with me at jerrysiden at gmail.com and uh, you can send me a text at 714-308-2494. God bless.